I invite you to be seated. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God that engages us for this great festival is from the first lesson just read, specifically Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I hate to admit it. In fact, I'm not totally comfortable telling you about it. But here it goes. My mother once tried to kill me. <laughs> oh, you laugh. <laughs> no, no, she really did. Now, now, it wasn't when I was in high school and made several, let's just say, less than stellar decisions. We all kind of know about that in this room, I think. No, in those moments, my mother only threatened to wring my neck. But when I was about five years old, as best as I can recall, my mother actually tried to kill me. Let me explain. My mother, who's still alive, 81 years old, Beverly Louise Lessing. Now, back in the day, my mom could make biscuits that are out of this world. They, she would make biscuits that even Colonel Sanders would envy. And as a little kid, I wondered, what is the secret to this marvelous taste? One day, as she was making up a new batch, our dog Peanuts got loose. Peanuts was always getting loose, but this was an opportune time for Peanuts to get loose because as my mom searched for Peanuts, I would search for that secret ingredient to the biscuits. So there I was. The biggest container there was marked flour. I couldn't read in the day, but I figured biggest container, that's the secret. So I took a big spoon and put a huge amount of flour in my mouth and said, yuck. Well, then I reasoned. It must be the shortening. So I put some shortening in my mouth. I said, awful. Finally, there was only really one option left called baking powder. Kind of slow on the uptake, I figured, well, this has got to be the secret. So I took an extra big spoon, put an extra large amount of baking powder into my mouth, and <laughs> talk about gag me with a spoon, literally. It was at that point that I figured it out. My mother was trying to kill me. Right? Wrong. <laughs> Beverly Louise Lessing, my mom, was taking strange and distasteful ingredients, mixing them all together to create biscuits that are simply out of this world. The secret is in understanding how it all works together. Once, Joseph's brothers actually did try to kill him, right? 
Joseph is 18 years old. His whole life is in front of him, and his brothers say in Genesis chapter 37, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. Throw him into a pit. Say a wild animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. You've known this story since you were knee-high to a grasshopper, right? Joseph is his dad's favorite. But his brothers, let's just say, have a problem with that. Actually, they hate his guts. So Joseph gets the coat of many colors. His brothers strip it off him and sell Joseph to some Midianites from Gilead who are going down to Egypt. Once in Egypt... Joseph becomes head over Potiphar's house. And besides, Genesis 39, 6 says, quote, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, kind of like Tom Cruise, who my wife thinks is well-built and handsome, but actually in person he's kind of small and dumpy and not that impressive. <sighs> but Joseph <laughs> is taller and better looking. So Potiphar's wife says, come to bed with me. Drama, drama. And Joseph says, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? And this spurned woman goes for Joseph's jugular. There are no sexual harassment laws in Egypt. <laughs> so Joseph is hosed. He finds himself in prison. Makes friends with Pharaoh's chief cupbearers, also in prison. They make plans to bust out. The chief cupbearer gets out and <laughs> forgets about Joseph. Until there's a great famine in the land. Pharaoh has dreams. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph can interpret the dreams. He's let out of prison. He does the duty on the dreams. And after all of it, 23 years to be exact, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. After all of that, Jacob, the father, dies. And coming back from Jacob's funeral, the brothers have this on their mind, Genesis 50, verse 15. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us for all the evils we did to him? Well, will he? Will he stick it to him? Will he make them pay after all of his heartache in hell? No. <laughs> the words of our text. Joseph says, you, he's talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph became a model citizen, a great leader, someone with high moral standards, a person with great compassion and love and deep forgiveness. You see, he understood. 
that God was taking all of these strange and distasteful ingredients, working them together to create a life that is simply out of this world. The secret, the secret is in understanding how it all works together. Graduates of 2011, let me be perfectly blunt and clear. Difficult times are directly ahead. Sure, some of you are going to the college of your choice. Congratulations. Really, congratulations. But not all college roommates become best buddies for life. Uh, some of you someday are going to land a job in this economy. Congratulations. But <laughs> not all jobs are filled with glitz and glamour and six-figure salaries. Some of you perhaps someday will fall in love with that hunka hunka burning love. You'll marry the man or woman of your dreams. But, but <laughs> you see, not all marriages are made in heaven. Lutheran High School North and Lutheran High School South can't insulate you from life. Your teachers, if I can dare speak for them, can educate you, and they have. They've loved you. They've listened to you. Some of them have cried with you. A lot of them have coached you. But they can't shield you. Lutheran high schools can't do that. Nothing can. And because life bumps us and bruises us and sometimes painfully breaks us, the temptation you see for all of us, including myself, <laughs> to hold a grudge. The motto for most since Lee Iacocca made this famous is what? I don't get mad, I get even. Your parents know that. <laughs> The movie Forrest Gump has a classic one-liner, right? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But it has another one-liner that's worth noting. It's at the end of the movie. Forrest and Jenny are walking the roads outside of Greenbow, Alabama. And they happen upon Jenny's home of her childhood. Remember that? It's old, it's dilapidated, it's, it's abandoned. This was the very home where we are led to believe that Jenny was sexually abused by her father. What does she do? She picks up rocks and throws rocks and more rocks. Finally, Jenny falls down exhausted on that dirt road. The scene closes with Forrest Gump saying, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. 
<laughs> but we most of the time don't believe for us, do we? Oh, we believe there will always be enough rocks. So we clutch onto our rocks and we live small, petty, little lives paying people back, holding grudges, walking around with a chip on our shoulder, get out of my way, pal, and becoming experts at sarcasm and cynicism, holding on to hurts becomes an insidious disease that destroys our body, our mind, and our soul. Becoming obsessed with what he did, what she said, what they decided, only gets us further trapped in patterns of self-destruction. Is there a way out of this mess? Is there an escape from living a small, little, vindictive life? Am I stuck forever with this hard heart? No. No. No, you're not. I'm not. Meet another man who, just like Joseph, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, mocked by the crowds, right? Betrayed by Judas, denied three times by Peter, unjustly accused in a kangaroo court, sentenced to death by a weak-willed Roman governor, crowned with thorns, scourged just inches from death by Roman muscle men. Luke 23, 34, he began to say, four words in English, right? In the original Greek, it's one word pronounced elegant. Why do I teach you Greek and elegant tonight? Because elegant is an inceptive imperfect. Well, what does that mean? It means exactly this. He began to say, and he continued to say, and he repeatedly said, and he said over and over and over again, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Finally, at last, there is a solution to this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth world. And his name <laughs> is the name that is above every name, Jesus. And to prove that Jesus is the solution to every human problem, on the third day, the tomb was empty. There is nothing dead about Jesus. <laughs> and so what does that mean? It means when we're baptized, the Father's not holding a grudge, but he pours out upon us grace that we have learned to call amazing. In the Holy Supper, Jesus doesn't stand aloof, disconnected, 
chip on his shoulder. No, he comes up close and personal and real body and real blood. (laughs) Instead of wrathful revenge, shout it out, we are redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Thinking about all of this, St. Paul writes in Romans 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, of those who are called according to his purpose. Two things. Paul does not say. First, Paul does not say all things are good. All things are not good. All things will not be good. A lot of stuff confuses us and haunts us and messes with our minds. Second, Paul does not write, wouldn't it be nice if I'm pretty sure that. (laughs) No, Paul presses the pen hard. We know, we're convinced, we believe that the God of Joseph, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, takes all the strange and distasteful experiences and creates in his children (laughs) lives that are out of this world. Life in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is different from this world. It's opposite from this world. This is a life that is driven by Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This new life of freedom is animated by Romans 12, 21. Don't be overcome with evil overcome evil with good. And then there's Ephesians 5.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving each other even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Wow. <laughs> Great timing. That's all planned because at this point, actually, in all seriousness, this sermon is taking a turn (laughs) to one person. Her name is Lori Beth Lessing, and she's in the Lutheran High School South class of 2011. Your mother and I love you very, very, very much. Your mother and I care for you very, very, very much. And if all of the parents here could actually take the pulpit, I'm sure, parents, you would say the same thing to your graduating senior, right? 
What's so hard, speaking as a, a dad, a parent, you see, what's so hard, class of 2011, you see, is we have done everything for 18 years to shield you and insulate you and protect you from the mess and the mire and the muck and the mud of this world. Oh, we've tried, haven't we, parents? God knows we've tried, but we can't do it. And now we are letting you out to become more vulnerable, more open to the pain and the loneliness. And the times are going to feel friendless and hopeless. We know that. So it makes it hard. We know from our personal experience that people will do you wrong. They will, they will stick you in the back. They will slander you. They'll hurt you. And we also know from personal experience that your first response is going to be what? Hold a grudge. Make them pay. Get them back. Graduates, listen to me. Don't do it. It will destroy your life. There's a plan, you see. It's a great plan. It's a plan where as God's baptized children, He's taking everything and He's working it out for our good and God's glory. Don't believe me? Then just ask Joseph. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.